I guess I'm asking the question, like, what is Gina's strategy to keep accumulating shares? Is she going to use it to vote against the Albemarle proposal, which with this shareholding she has the power to nearly yeah, be a considerable part of that 25% no. Will these $850 million US dollars worth of bonds issued by Minres, is this linked to yeah. what Gina is up to with Town? Money miners. Welcome to another show. Tuesday 26 JD. Jeez, we fucking jeez like talking normally. Hit that record button. We're fucking on. We're on, mate. We're on, mate. And jeez, there's a bit there's a bit happening today. Sure is. Gym impact episode. Got quite a bit in store. Yeah. We give a bit of a teaser. Couple of couple of links. Uh Min Min Res issuing a bloody shit ton of bond money. And Will this link into Gina's increased line town stake, JD? We will hypothesise. Maybe it will. You know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. We've also got Black Cat. They have announced a bit of funding coming together. Mm, Coronado, a big, uh, a big, big stake, a majority stake changing hands there. Streamline missed the news yesterday, but JD, you can't leave them out of the week, so no, you're going to give will. them a mention. Absolutely. Uh, a bit on zinc. Just as a commodity, just yeah, in general. I'm looking forward to thinking, how the hell are we doing a bit of a zinc session? But I'm sure there's a good reason. And Lindian, they've and also we'll, announced a bit of a concentrate offtake. That's it. We'll wrap up with Lindian. Oh, it's all go. Right. Before we get into it, now, the partners for today, Terra Capital. Terra, like, you like these guys, don't you, I do, you, mate. And you promised me you'd give a, a bit of a different... Well, try, trying to diversify. So, look, I thought I'd, you know, read out what the... Um, what, what they're about. This is this is from their website. Terra Capital has established itself as one of the best performing boutique fund managers in Australia. Terra Capital has a proven track record of performance and a management team that is strongly aligned with investors. Um, you know, very pe- professional, very polished. Langers and Bonnie, I'm not telling you how to run your business. I, don't, I, just don't th- I just don't think what they've written there really differentiates them and highlights how good these these fellas are. Just They just sound like another... Another fund, don't you think, JD? Sure, mate. Well, is. this is how I'd reword that website. And look, Langer's Bondi, you can take take it or leave it, not forcing you into it. But I reckon something more along the lines of the Terra Capital Natural Resources Fund is run by a bunch of absolute GCs that you can trust to manage shitloads of your cash. And based on their historical performance, JD, they will more than likely return you that cash and a fuckload of extra cash on top. Now, if this service is not enough for you as a potential client, the personable approach of Terra Capital ensures that you would also enjoy a beer with the people who have your money. Have you ever had a beer with Combank or Westpac? I think not. This is the Terra Capital culture. <laughs> Delivered in your customary brevity. Now that tells you everything you need to know about Terra Capital and the men and women behind the organisation. Thanks for your support, Terra. Love it. Cheers, Terra. Can't do it without you. Right, JD, a couple of bloody ex-divvies go out today for the yeah. big dogs. So between three miners, BHB, FMG and Pilbara, $10 billion, I was going to say a million, $10 billion is uh, going out this week to shareholders. So yeah, just, ASX 200 will be down a bit. Yeah, it just goes to show, you know, that those guys are churning out money and good to see Pilbara, you know, three years ago, you would have laughed at them saying they're going to issue a dividend in 2023. So it's astounding how far they've come and good on them, I reckon. Very good. Now, speaking of money, Mm. lots of it, 
Mineral Resources announced a pretty big, decent bond offering today. Just a just a one pager, but a lot can be read from this and maybe some predictions based on some historical bond offerings that we've seen in the yeah, past, we, JD. Mate, we don't need much to get us to get us running. We know, we just need a page. Give us a page, we'll give you 20. That's it. So it was a one page, pretty info light like you touched on, Maddie. But what uh, what the real info is, is that they are intending to offer US $850 million in senior unsecured notes due in 2028. So a quote from the announcement was that Minres intends to use the cash proceeds from the offering to uh, for general corporate purposes, including for CapEx. So we'll get into what we think they might be spending that money on later on. But, Matty, I think it's interesting to M&A is a general corporate purpose, isn't it? I guess you could say that, you mate. You could say it. I think it's interesting to have a look at the timing of this and just cast our minds back of when we last spoke about similar types of funding coming together. So we spoke about Northern Star. Beginning of April, they announced that US $600 million in bonds had been issued. June, so a couple months later, they announced the expansion of KCGM. You look at Evolution in August 2021 – they issued US 550 million in November. They issued another 200 million in tandem with the announcement that they are acquiring Ernest Henry. So, so and the reason JD these are in US dollars is the US bond market is just shits over any other market. Fucking huge, isn't it? The US bond market is deep, deep, deep. There is yep. so much capital there. It's you know the the Aussie bond market just pales in insignificance. You know, so yep. yeah, exactly why it's US dollar denominated and. Mins are fully aware of this. They've tapped the bond market before. In 2019, they issued US $700 million due in 2027. In early 2022, so about a year and a half ago, they issued $1.25 US billion. And that was at a rate of 8% and 8.5%, sort of split up in across 600 and 600 and a bit million. That was over five and eight-year terms. So they're no strangers to the bond market. And if you look at their balance sheet, Maddie, they've got – 1.4 billion, and that's in Aussie dollar terms, in cash as of the end of the last financial year. So this this bond market, JD, are we talking like your big fucking US pension funds, sovereign wealth, like the big mobs that are going to lend big amounts of money to guarantee an eight percent return on it? Exactly. They've got um, they've got target rates that they need to hit. Like you said, in the in the case of a, a pension fund, they need to meet these these payout numbers, and eight percent. You know, it's it's much better than they were getting, you know, when the, the world was in the zero interest rate environment. Yep. So they sort of need that. And from Minrez's point of view, they want to grow the business ultimately. That's why they're doing it and they don't have the the cash means to do it as is. It's cheaper than equity. They don't want to do any dilution. They've got the balance sheet to support it, unlike, you know, a single asset project finance type facility that we often talk about where the, the lender's really assessing the project creditworthiness of that individual project. So they think this is the best means to do it and good on them. They're no strangers to it. So what you said, so they've got, is that the, so the total bonds now on issue for Minres is US 3 billion? Yeah, given that those two previous issuances haven't yeah. come to maturity just yet, they'll have over yeah. US 3 billion. Yeah, in, and um, then, so what? how much, what cash have they got? What did they end the financial year with? 1.4. 1.4. Aussie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, JD, explain to me why, min like your min reses and your evolution and your Northern Star go down this this bond route. Essentially, the 
the bigger companies have the option to do it. They have, like I just sort of touched on, they have a bigger balance sheet, they have cash, they have predictable cash flows from a, a range of different assets. They're not looking, like I just said in the, the project finance scenario, they're not, they're not looking for that. There's much more flexibility on their terms for how they allocate the capital and, yeah, l- lastly, just cheaper than dilution. Why would you issue new stock yeah. when you don't have to? Okay, so what's the difference between offering bonds and establishing a massive debt facility with a lender? What's what's the difference? Why would you go down the bond route rather than that? Uh, there's there's probably a couple different differences, Maddie. First of all, th- this will be going to a range of different investors as opposed to just one lender or perhaps a, a facility with multiple lenders. That flexibility plays a big role. A traditional sort of uh, debt facility with a bank is quite rigid in comparison to a bond. You can kind of spend this however you wish, yeah. as long as you're making the, the coupon repayments and so paying you don't, back you the don't have to attach hedging to it or something as a condition, like a gold company will with a debt facility. Yeah, or anything like yeah, that. exactly. You're you're probably getting um, better rates as well. Yeah, so just because there's there's it's because it's bigger it's bigger money and there's more people, there's more demand and the, as you said, that American bond market is much bigger than the Australian bank lending. Exactly. 100%. Um, industry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if they've, so they've said they, they have these bonds now, they're going to sell those bonds to someone, doesn't say who, but would they have a, they'd have a pretty f- firm indication, do you think of where those bonds are going I'd, or is it more I'd, saying we've got these bonds now, who wants to buy them off us? I'd think of it quite similar to when a company announces a, a capital raising, they've got a pretty high level of confidence that it's getting away. You're not launching the capital raising or stating that you're intending to issue these bonds without you know a very high confidence that it's going to get away. Unless you're completely fucked and desperate. Yeah. <laughs> Which we know Minres aren't. Exactly, exactly. Oh, very so, interesting. So, mate, the, the big question... What is the money for? Okay, so they've got they've said corporate, um, corporate, and then they said for capex. So forget, forget what they've said, mate. <laughs> forget forget what they've said. So look, if it's capex, you would you know capex for existing, their existing Wajner or Mount Marion projects uh, could be spread. I mean, they have spoken about downstream sort of facilities, although they've spoken on the on the reverse of that, saying it's not worth going downstream as well. So I. That wouldn't be my bet on any mm. sort of downstream at Wajana or the like. And the Delta, the now that they're on the board of Delta, I'm, I guess the probably the conclusion we came to there is that I, it doesn't look like the fact that they're going on the board that they're going to take them over. Yeah, and in any case, they're kept at because they don't need to. They've got they're getting gaining control via without having to like cough up the dosh exactly the premium and they uh capped at roughly 400 from memory minres already own almost 20 percent they've raised 1.2 in aussie dollar terms billion here or yep. about two so doesn't seem likely either we've spoken about bold hill oh well it wasn't bad <laughs> it wasn't bad i'll give you seven out of ten yeah i mean just the way in which that supposed transaction is sort of coming together I wouldn't thought they're going at it looking to spend this much money. That would kind of defeat the purpose. It's not a, a super high quality asset. The, the reason you do that is because you can get it on the cheap from yeah. the from the administrators. So it's it's sort of hard. I mean, and then there's the other, I guess, elephant in the room, this sort of tie-in with 
Gina and this sort of lithium superpower company yep. and what the what the end ambitions are, it's still very, you know, a lot of pieces moving around the board mm. at the moment. It's hard well, to sort of put that together, but maybe they're just having it locked and loaded. And like Chris said on that call a few months ago now, he's he's got a plan and he doesn't or he can't reveal it, but there is a plan mm. and investors just need to trust him. I'm sure there is a, there is a, a big plan, yeah. but things like Bald Hill, like you know, a bit of word on the decline that that, you know, like that's a it's a high risk transaction whether it's going to go through or not. There's mm. a lot of moving parts with there between the administrators and the receivers and 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 everything. Yeah, and we've a, been hearing some stuff on the decline, which we'll get into in a later episode. Yeah, so and so that look that oh, it looks like the bonds might be there for mm. to give him options because like you know the 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 big uh, where where they're heading is probably this big lithium organisation whether. Bald Hill will be a part of it. Who who knows? We'll see. I think Bald Hill is such a, I think, a small part of the bigger bigger ambitions. Let's let's have a chat about what Jean has done and see if we can tie anything yeah, together afterwards. Well, she, the change substantial came out yesterday after trade, I think it was. Um, so she has increased her stake in Liontown Resources to 10.69%, up from 7.7%. So and the stock's actually retreated a little bit. It, little bit, it's going back to around $2.92. So it was at three, sort of just hovering slightly above three for a bit, which is Albemarle, which was Albemarle's full value, fully valued proposal. It was. So it's another couple hundred million out of her pocket to scoop up about 3% in the business. Yeah. And like you look and you looked on their website, JD, they, they released a statement said they, look, they hadn't bought above $3 a share. Their average price is well below. Um, it was some very interesting. It was some interesting wording in there. Yeah, it was the, a couple paragraphs, but it was you know, it was kind of powerful. What they were pointing out and what they were sort of emphasising was very interesting, right? Yeah. So we'll, we'll go through it. So it's they to sum it up. They they highlighted Lion Town's ramp up risk. They emphasised their um, the Hancock's execution ability. Um, they flex that they've you know executed ten billion dollar projects mm. on time under budget. So they were, yeah, like you said, really emphasising their ability. They, you know, touched on Albemarle. That it's not a, uh, it's not a binding proposal. Yeah, yeah. Just and, yet. and they also said production rate is high for an underground mine. I'm pretty sure they've, at least, I think they've stolen my words there. They're bloody iron ore <laughs> miners. They wouldn't know that. I'm oh, they know. They're pinching, pinching them from money of mine. <laughs> they also said targeted recovery rate exceeds what is achieved by existing producers. So. Look, they were really they were really talking down Line Town. The yeah. fact that they were buying the shares, they were really highlighting the risks. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't a fluffy like sort of saying we're we looking can, to be we can do this, looking forward to be part of this amazing journey. They were really high, which was um it was so. I guess what is the strategy here, JD? The, the sort of tone came across like you know. We can help you through this, right? You mm, uh, you like, need our help to kind of get through it. Are they pushing? Do you think they might be putting a bit of pressure on the stock to see if they can accumulate a lot more below three dollars, two dollars ninety two now? I mean, I think I think they'll have a go. It's worth getting into that Albemarle proposal. So mm. not yet binding. You dug into the sort of what what's needed a bit. They need yeah, well, it's a scheme because it's a scheme of arrangement. So you know yep. they're pretty much scheme think, per, think per, friendly. Purchase, and it's the way it's the it's the way to friendly acquire a hundred percent of a company. Yeah, it's when you've got the shares. It's it's when you've got the board on your side of the of the target. Yeah, 
and then you know, hopefully you've got the shareholders too. So, and for for this scheme of arrangement to get voted through, you need with so this is definitions now. I'm pretty sure I've got this right, JD. I think I've confirmed it with a bloody G. I'm trusting you, mate. But so for for it to get voted through, you need within each class of target shareholders. So fully paid ordinary shares are a class of shareholders. So you need 75% of all votes casted to be yes and 50% by number of all shareholders have to vote in that relevant class. So so yep. for the fully paid ordinary shares, someone that has, say, 500 bucks worth of Liontown shares, they hold the same percentage as Tim Goida does. Remember, it's it's you need 50% of the individual shareholders to yeah. vote. So, look, hypothetically, if only, say, 70% of the total shares are voted, like you, you'll never see 100% of shareholders vote, yeah. um, that means Gina's 10%, as it is right now, this is likely going to increase, but that 10% might – if 70% of the shareholder the shares are voted that's worth 14% because it's 70 you need 75% yep. of the total votes casted in the vote so her 10% at the moment has can might will have a lot of sway in this scheme of arrangement so uh, i guess i'm asking the question like what is Gina's strategy to keep accumulating shares is she going to use it to vote against the Albemarle proposal which with this shareholding, she has the power to nearly yeah, be a considerable part of that 25% no. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's all happened quite quickly, mm. so I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about this in a couple of weeks' time again mm. and she's crept up a little higher on the register. Might be, she might be keeping her options open. Yep, she so might. Like, she it, might be speaking with other shareholders, trying to win them over to her, mm. to her point of view and not have to go out and fork out additional capital. I suppose her shareholding then and the voting power, that could be lever used as leverage to strike a JV deal with Albemarle should they choose to do that. But I guess will will these $850 million US dollars worth of bonds issued by MinRes, is this linked to yep. what Gina is up to with Town? So, look, you could say will mine and many others – the, the prophecy of Gina and Minrez creating this Australian lithium company, is it is it about to come to fruition? Mate, you got your Who first knows? one yesterday when mm. it rains, it pours. Oh, yeah, and God, such a, such a glorious one to take, <laughs> the most predictable one. So, yes, yeah, it's not very interesting to see what she's up to, especially with how this scheme of arrangement vote works. Agreed, I mate. think Albemarle will be, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if it's, don't know if they're friendly, don't know if it's linked, don't know if they're shitting themselves. Who knows? That's it. Mm. JD. Right, let's have a chat about zinc. How the fuck did this come up, JD? What drew your attention to zinc today? So I've noticed one of the biggest zinc mines in Europe has um, essentially stopped producing zinc. They haven't gone completely on, on care and maintenance. That was somewhat recently. And then I sort of did a bit more digging and realised the biggest zinc mine in Europe has gone on, on care and maintenance. So it oh. got me scratching and, you know, you'd, you'd been saying it for a few months now, Maddie. zinc stinks. Zinc stinks. It's not sexy at all, zinc. Nah. It's like lead. Exactly. So just doing, uh, we'll just speak about it for a few minutes, nothing too crazy, but going into what it sort of means for the global economy. So just to quickly on zinc, zinc is obviously a base metal, mainly used in galvanising of steel. It also has sort of renewable applications, turbines, used in solar panels, 
used in transmission towers. So there is a bit of that application, kind of like how we spoke about vanadium and nickel. There's a, a portion of the end use going towards those sorts of things. And it tends to follow the the global industrial production cycle, given its its sort of economic uses. So don't forget about the cricketers on the nose and the lips, lips <laughs> and everything. Another use of zinc, anyway. Continue. How could I forget, mate? <laughs> so you you naturally think of when you think base metals. What's the Chinese property market doing? You've, you kind of got to. That's how we've sort of been taught over the last twenty years. It has such a. It just consumes so much metal. You have to see what they're doing and. Obviously, we don't even need to say the the property market is not in a good spot in China. You you can see it every week in the Australian, the AFR, any sort of media source you look at. Things aren't going too well, as well as you got kind of global economic slowdown fears and talk of you know growth not being so strong this year. So that's in a very similar position to all other base metals. You look at the copper price; it reflects the same thing. Nickel price reflects the exact same. Lead as well. So for zinc. The price is floating around US $2,500 a tonne or US $1.15 per pound. And we'll show a 10-year chart just to get um, the money miners across how it's sort of tracking. So the zinc price soared in early 2022 for those listening. That was sort of on the on the back of energy inflation, which was a flow-on effect from Russia's invade invasion of Ukraine. But year-to-date, the prices are down 20%. But Maddie, it really reminds me of what we spoke about yesterday. So you look at where it's tracking now and you think it's it's not tri- too dramatic, nothing mm. too bad. It's back to levels well, where it was not too long ago. It looks like it's nearing that end of the cycle. It looks like it's in distinct two-year cycles there, yeah. the rate it is. So. But you know what you need to think about? You need to think about costs and cost inflation. So we spoke about Allchem yesterday. One project that they had had cost inflation of 33.8% from a study they'd done in December 2021. Yeah. So that is less than two years and they've had 33.8%. That, that is, I hope that doesn't fucking continue every two years for me. Mate, that, that is enormous. <laughs> so what, what I'm really saying is US $2,500 zinc price today is nowhere near as profitable as that price two years ago because your inputs are that much more expensive. Well, it's an, and by the based on the care and maintenance situations, it's not profitable at all. Exactly. It's, mm. it's not good at all, mate. So- 12.4 million tonnes of zinc was mined last year. 13.3 million was refined. So now we get to why I'm really raising this issue today, like I sort of touched on at the top. Tara, the biggest mine in Europe, has gone on care and maintenance and the, the quote from the company is unsustainable financial losses. So it's a result of A, reduced zinc prices, you know, B, operational challenges, high energy prices and general cost inflation they produced 103,000 tonnes in 2022. Then in Portugal, you've got Aljustrel. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I believe, yeah. That's a um, that's a mine where the zinc-lead production circuit has been turned off, so not the whole mine going on care and maintenance, but they're no longer going to be churning out zinc. They produced 99,000 tonnes. And then you looked into Eris. Yeah, well, they they put the Jaguar mine on care and maintenance a lot, not long ago. They were like... W- the one, one of the main reasons they said was seismic issues that rendered some of the stoping areas unaccessible, but another one of the main one was low zinc prices. Yep. So it hasn't um, really impacted the situation that Eris is on. And look, Eris have, since we did that episode last week, they've continued trending down there at 17 and a half cents down. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah. And then we've also spoken about 29 metals. So Golden Grove produces a good bit of zinc and 
whilst you think, you know, oh, the company's on hard times, Capricorn Copper, everything that's going on there, it's not great, but Golden Grove wasn't making any money. They, mm. th- the operation was moving backwards and they produce a substantial amount of zinc. I think revenue in the, the last year was 30% comprised of zinc and 70% from copper across both assets. Yeah. So that, that's pretty substantial. And I think I think zinc zinc doesn't stand out as the big, you know, the big headline commodity or um, or the headline grade within these polymetallic operations. But when the price of it halves and it's still a significant part of it and sometimes mm. the biggest part of it, it really impacts operations like this. This is Absolutely, what bloody mate. happens. Yeah. So. so what we're really seeing is all those operations at the higher end, you know, in the 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 top quartile of the cost curve, they are, you know, turning off. That yeah. supply is being switched off and yeah, we're gonna see a bit of disruption before before things change in the in the future. But for for the sort of intervening period, it's not a pretty sort of place to be. No, no, definitely dependent on global growth, isn't it? Who knows where that's bloody going? Absolutely. Anyone that says they know where it's going is wrong because no one knows. Nobody can predict commodity prices, mate. (laughs) It's a a sort of fool's errand. Righto. Black Cat, mate, get into it. Black Cat, they've got their $60 million funding solution for the Paulson's restart. Now, we always say, JD, anything with an eight in the stock code usually means – Chinese. We do. And this funding is far from anyone trying to de-China their business. She's pretty bloody China. Very sure is, very mate. China. All right, Maddie, break down the $60 million for me. The, right. So where's it come from? $45 million of it is via a direct placement at 22.5 cents. Now, remember they raised not long ago, it was $8.3 million at uh, down near that processing. Was, I think it was at 22 and a half. And then they also have the one for two attaching option as well, at exercisable at 33. So they've, you know, further further diluting here uh, via this means. And we're going to go into this versus debt in the later part of this. So this $45 million is being split up evenly to two organisations who will both own 19.9% of Black Cat after this. So, so some serious dilution there. Yeah. Fu Yang Ming Jing, China-based investor that has stakes in another three ASX explorers, Octava Minerals, Patagonia Lithium and Power Minerals, 15 17 and 8% respectively. Then the other one is Southeast Ming Qing, another Chinese private company that also is an investor in Octava and Patagonia Lithium, two of the the Mingjing investments, uh, 15% and 6.4 respectively. So the good thing about the good part of the a good part of the deal here is that these shareholdings are escrowed until March 2027. So a good sign of commitment protects Black Cat from these companies selling them off um, if they decide to sell rather than take the whole thing. And we'll get into that too. Now you've also something I found interesting: the Chinese founded. Rich Link Capital, they acted as an advisor to Black Cat, but they doing a bit of a link linked up search. Uh, they were also tied with Ming Jing and Ming Qing as a cornerstone investor for Patagonia Lithium's IPO. So interesting that this rich rich link were advising Black Cat. Sounds interesting. Do you smell something, JD? Looks like there's a there's a very sort of consistent relationship. There is a relate. There is a relationship. Mm. Now, okay, the remaining funding, the fifteen million, this is via a secured debt facility with Ming Jing, 
which is one of the previous ones. They all sound the same, so I'm just trying to make sure everyone bloody knows. Uh, so that's at a 12% per annum fixed rate. So it's secured against the black cat assets. So good part, good good deal in terms of they don't have to start paying off the accumulated interest until October 2024. So they plan planning to draw it down March 2024. The, the interest accumulates, but they don't have to pay it till October 2024, which is when they're expected to just get a bit after when they're going to get into production. And then from there, there's from April uh, 2025, there's $1.875 million per quarter payable. And what Between about, that October 24 and April 25, they have to start paying the interest, but they don't have to start paying the principal until April 2025, so well while they're well into production and hopefully achieving cash flow. So good, pretty good, pretty good deal in terms of not getting the cash, the pressure on the cash flow and the balance sheet for yeah. the debt repayment. So and what about what about FERB? They've turned down a few Chinese investments in ASX businesses. Yeah, well, obviously this funding will need FERB approval and yeah. Black Cat shareholder approval. So even. Uh, yeah, so these these new guys don't vote on it because they're not shareholders yet, do they? No. Yeah, so pretty much every vote will be swinging their way after they do get the shareholding. Um, that's going to happen in November at their uh, AGM, so obviously need regu- regulatory approvals from the Mingjing and Mingqing side for uh, overseas direct investment. But the look, the funds, the $60 million, and this is what I guess all the investors have been waiting for, these are the funds that will be used primarily for the Paulson's restart and repaying Northern Star, the who they bought the asset off, paying them back the $10 million deferred payment plus interest. So that that is what is coming out of that $15 million secured facility with Mingjing. So that is to pay off Northern Star. All right, um, cool. So so what do you actually think of the deal? You, you went a bit deeper than I did on this one. If you take into account their... $8.3 million they've already raised. Um, they raised just previously. The, Paulson, the Paulson's restart is essentially being funded by about 80% equity and 20% debt. So if you add that 8.3, that works, yeah. out, works out around about what it is. It's about 75, 25 based on the 15 and 45, but yeah, 80, 80, let's say 80, 20. So overall, I guess it looks like not a bad funding solution in terms of the shares being escrowed until March 2027. So that's – haven't got the selling risk there. Uh, Black Cat aren't going to be up there up to their eyeballs in debt. Uh, we've seen how that can uh, really put pressure on companies and force them into capital raises just to uh, – for a bit of balance sheet reprieve. And they're not required to start paying the principal off the debt for one year. So – yeah. So the, again, not heaps of balance sheet pressure there. So that's a that's a good thing on that term. But yeah, it's a I, bit of an inverse type funding solution to what we normally see on a sort of clean slate mm, project. Yeah, right? no, I guess, and that's where we'll go into probably what's the risk to Black Cat and the risk to I guess their long term shareholders. So because the long term shareholders have been pretty heavily diluted from the previous raise. Remember, they were up well above. They're up to fifty now. They've traced back to low 20s, they were raising at these levels. This placement is at 22.5 cents. They've also got those one for two attaching options that um, the people that participated in the raise will put further pressure at that 33 cent level. Yeah, I think I think that should really be emphasised. The last month, 
has been massively dilutionary for Blue yeah. Cat. Yeah, and now and now, if this goes through, they've got two Chinese entities owning a combined forty percent of the company, and they're two. These two entities are common shareholders of other companies, so we can we can piece them together as one entity. It appears that it appears they're somewhat aligned. So, I guess if the Paulsons restart as a success and they start generating cash flows and move towards also restarting Coyote and Cal East because they said in the announcement they're going to use the Paulsons cash flows to then fund the restart of Coyote and Cal East. Like, look, you've got you've got this Chinese – two Chinese entities. We'll call them officially – effectively one entity because they appear to be aligned in some way, owning 40%. So, look, I'm not sure they can – I don't, I don't think they can vote in a vote if they, they want to take it over, but, look, they can – easily increase their percentage and head towards that, whether it's a compulsory acquisition or someone. They've, they've got the power to vote in favour of anyone taking them over. So the Black Cat board has effectively lost control of outcomes because it's all it's all dependent on how these two Chinese entities want to take it forward and how they want to vote. Yeah, so I think the company would just be firmly focused on getting that Paulson's restart gone, yeah. gone properly and worrying about the rest of it later. Mm, exactly. So, look, I guess what you and Trav have taught me, appreciate it, by the way, if you look at if you look at the percentage of equity and debt that is used to, to fund a restart like this, it's usually an indif- indication of how banks and lenders, like, view the project. So, look, if it is a high debt proportion, like the inverse of this, like 80% debt and 20% equity, that I guess that means that lenders – believe in the project in in the sense they see the risk as as manageable. So if you look at look Calidus did 80% debt, they funded Warrawoona with 80% debt. Macquarie obviously believed in the project to some degree, but look due to this went the other way, but due to the issues on with grade on ramp up it put Calidus under a lot of balance sheet pressure because they've got the high they funded it with 80% debt. Um and it forced them to tap the market for capital raises twice, I think, since their first production. So, but look, if if a project is funded with, say, 80% equity and 20% debt, which is this situation, yes, the lower debt reduces the risk of like going into administration and like reduces balance sheet pressure if you do have ramp up issues. But the long-term shareholders are heavily diluted and they they receive like especially from the previous raise all the previous raises and especially this one they receive a much less portion of those future cash flows those first cash flows that come out of Paulson's when they actually happen so for them to expect the share price to go back up to 50 cents now you know like now it's just become harder and harder for it to double now is like three times harder than it was to double previously because of the dilution. So that's their, their thumb suck numbers anyway. So I guess the low amount of debt percentage in this in this deal is an indication that there's not much interest from lenders to fund the restart, which can be an indication of project risk. So Yeah, one one example that comes to mind, Maddie, that we spoke about not too long ago was Tieto and they were equity funded with their Abuja project. So I think that was $130 million share placement to fully fund the Abuja, so I think which was 
I think there was some, there was a loan facility there as well, but it was primarily funded with equity. Yeah. So similar similar to this. Yeah, and we've seen how that's gone in, in, uh, in the past. How do you say it? Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire. Oh. Well, Ivory Coast. So look, and we we talked about them recently. They had to they've dropped dropped their guidance due to ramp up issues. They had a lot of inventory issues with um, and rainfall and. Equipment yep. not arriving, but then they, they come out and said that grade control drilling increased the ore tons by 10%, but the same contained gold was there, which means the grade dropped. Yeah, there was much yep. more than meets the eye. And so they overcalled the grade and, yeah, their share price is well over halved this year. So, look, that was – that hasn't been a I – know, I know the Calidus story was the same as that, but if Calidus had ramp-up issues, but the, the bank thought that – they were comfortable lending that money that they will repay that. I know they had hedging attached to it as well and everything, but it is it can be an indication of project risk. So, look, it'll be interesting to see how how this funding solution plays out and how this yeah we'll what, firstly see what role the Chinese involvement will play. Yeah, we'll firstly see if it gets voted through and. Yeah. Incoming shareholders are happy with it, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I don't think it's not going to be. I think it's voted through to about. February next year. I think they plan to draw down the debt in March. So to get it through FERB and yeah. and everything like it's still uh, well away. So Take a while. I think first production they're scheduled for the September 2024 around then. That sounds about right. Mm. Mate, let's have a quick chat about Strandline. So you mentioned that they came out yesterday with an announcement and they sort of slipped through the cracks. So They slipped through my crack. I probably don't <laughs> even have them on my watch list to be honest. My apologies, Strandline. So Joseph Paterica joined as CEO in July. And we spoke about that as at the time. And Luke Graham, who'd been the previous CEO and MD, he moved to being just the MD. And he'd done a good job at seeing the company through construction in a really, really tough environment through 2022. He's now left the business entirely. That's what the company came out and said. And um, Paterica is, you know, controlling CEO and managing director, essentially. Now, so Strandline are having a really tough time ramping up the Coburn Mineral Sands project. They did a great job getting it to through construction, but getting the operation humming hasn't been so simple. And, you know, I don't think shareholders were falling for any of the spin. They said the appointment reflects Strandline's transition to production at Coburn Mineral Sands project. Things are not going well there, Maddie. You can see the, the share prices come off and off and off over the past year. It's down 70-odd percent or maybe even more over that time period. So at the beginning of October, not too long away, away now, we're expecting an operational update and it'd be really interesting to see what the company comes out and says because last time I checked, they were trading around 11 or 12 cents. They'd raised at 18 cents literally two, two months ago, not even two yeah. months ago. That was a placement and share purchase plan. They raised $36.5 million. They've got, got a shitload of debt too, don't they? They've got $231 yeah. million of drawn debt, but the the terms are actually relatively friendly. 130 of that doesn't have a principal repayment until March 2028. And then you've got 86 million, which will have repayments starting in March 24. Yeah. So yeah, like I sort of said, not not an overly burdensome debt profile for the business. But I think what I really want to get at, and we don't need to beat the the horse here for too long, but it is a big red flag when the managing director or CEO, you know, the person in charge steps aside during ramp up. That is just a signal to go and dive deep, look into what's going on, see what else you can sort of surmise, see if things are going wrong because that is, you know, it's just a, a trick that is sort of 
proven pretty useful for seeing if things aren't quite going too well. It's a trick that proves pretty useful for the MD departing too. <laughs> Potentially. It does, mate. Yeah. It does, mate. Right, another company I'd never even bloody heard of till you brought it to my world today, JD. Really? Coronado. Cor- never heard of Coronado. Mate, mate. I'm fucking, there are so many bloody grey areas and uh, blind spots it's all in my life, but you are filling them in <laughs> by the day, JD. Okay, it's all, it's all going to be a bit clearer now. So seven global investments are acquiring a majority stake. So they're acquiring 51%. So that's, that's the company, seven global exe- investments, that is a not family, seven separates. That is a, yes, yes. That's a family office for a Czech billionaire by the name of Pavel Tikac, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah, so he's writing a big check for this, you'd say. Yeah, so he's... he. <laughs> Very good. So he is um, taking that stake directly off the hands of the Energy and Minerals Group, also known as EMG. So they were co-founders along with a couple of individuals back in 2012, I think. So that their strategy at Coronado has really been growth through acquisition, so inorganic growth. They've grown from, I think at that point, uh, half a million tonnes per annum of met coal to now 16 million tonnes per annum of met coal. They've got Jesus Christ. They've got assets in the Bowen Basin as well as the Appalachian region, so the traditional coal mining region of the USA. And on on the investment side, check, like I said, they are the family office of this billionaire who's made his money in energy and it actually should be quite familiar to Aussie investors. He bought the Vales Point power station, a coal-fired power station in New South Wales last year. That made it quite a few headlines down here. And he also picked up the assets, the Lakeway assets off the bankrupt Salt Lake Potash or SO4, who were racing to be the first ones into production, which unfortunately didn't go too well for them. And yeah, these guys came in and and scooped it up for, um, yeah, I mean, a relatively cheap price on an unproven asset. So we'll see how that one goes, but... Old, old Ferb's going to be busy, the Foreign Investment Review Board. They've got a few deals to get through after today. Well, they will, but a they should... A couple extra. Yeah, they should be somewhat familiar with with these guys with seven, so yeah. I'd imagine this one gets through. We'll sort of see how it goes. Right, JD, now you went into Lindian the other day, did a bit of a little brief dive into them about how, I guess, how quickly they're advancing this project toward, towards a production and there's a bit of a further update from them today that they've signed an offtake for Concentrate. I did, mate. So they're the $300 million fully diluted uh, rare earths development play in Malawi. Mm. And, yeah, what we the, – the sort of, you know, summary of our analysis last week was that they were just racing full bore toward production. They'd had the assets for all of 12 months, you know, slightly over – and they were just going full steam ahead. And I did flag at the time that if they got an offtake agreement, they got someone to agree to buy their product, that that would be a good tick of approval. So it's interesting to see that the share price hasn't gone in their favour today. I view this as a, a relatively positive announcement. The, the agreement's with Gerald Group. So they're a London-headquartered commodity trader. It's actually their first venture into um, rare earth Offtakes. Mm. So they've got a, a history. They've got trading hubs in China, Switzerland, US. They've got a history in copper and various base metals and all these other things. So it's a officially called a, a sales and purchase agreement. And so how, what's how much is so how much is it for? It's not for all of their monosol. So it's for forty. It? It's for forty percent of stage one. So that equates right. to nine thousand tons of monosite concentrate 
over a five year or 60 months. 9,000 tonne per year, is it? Per annum. Yep, yep. that's right. Yep. So in total, 45,000 tonnes. And like I said, 40%. So that leaves 60% uncommitted. So they could go about that in various ways. They could leave that to the, the spot market. They could sell it to a strategic buyer or someone else. But Lindian emphasised that this one uh, effectively underwrites stage one development cash flows. So, yeah, that's that's sort of why I drew that this was quite a positive announcement. On the specs, I think it's worth touching on given how po- important it is yep. in in rare earths. So they said that the um, the triode grade would be above 55% of the, the concentrate. The NDPR, the all-important um, aspect of the concentrate, has to be a minimum 18% and average 20%. And it has to have limited, uh, like it can't breach a certain threshold in thorium and uranium given the radioactivity radioactive natures of, of those elements, which shouldn't be a problem given the the approvals that these guys have gotten, the, the checks from various associations. Are they it's a sorry, dumb question I bloody forgot. Are they is there life of mine plan to just sell concentrate? I believe it is, yes. Yeah. So just to just to round out, there was one other aspect in today's announcement that was quite good. They may offer a US ten million dollar finance facility. So Gerald may make that available. Yep. We'll sort of see how that one ties in. And there was one other comment on Lindian reiterating that they've got ongoing negotiations with the US government for stage two development. So stage one is going to be the first few years and then stage two, which is going to involve a big capex to get there. So it really just reflects the company's non-Chinese aligned approach. They want to get the funding from the the US government and see where that, that sort of takes them. Similar to the likes of Syrah that we've seen in the graphite space in also in African Mozambique. And completely opposite to black cat. Yes, very different. <laughs> very opposite. Not that we call gold a uh, strategic or critical mineral. Mm, yeah, well, it's interesting. These Chinese companies must are looking for exposure. So the ones we mentioned, they look, they're in, God, all those plays they're in, a God, lithium, nickel, PGEs. Now they're getting a bit of gold. They're, yeah, and yeah. it's fascinating to see how it works with a commodities trader, given that these guys have, Gerald, that is, have a – a hub in China. So it'd be yeah. interesting how that all pieces together and how the uh, the US government views that. Very good, JD. Right, hey, beautiful, Perfect, mate. mate. couple of thanks to Rip- our sponsors. Yeah, Terra Capital at the top of the show. Check out their website once they update with my uh, <laughs> Im- new and improved slogans. Of course, Anytime Exploration Services. Oh, the OGs. K-Drill. Uh, and uh, JP Search. Recruitment Specialists in the Finance World and SMEC. Power and technology, the electrical gurus in the mining industry. Awesome. Hooteroo. Hooteroo, Money Miners. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.